There was a time before the pandemic where a trip to Cincinnati was one of the highlights of the year for Star Wars fans. Every October, collectors would travel to the Ohio region to spend a memorable weekend together. And a fall Cincinnati weekend offered so many opportunities. Most importantly, it was a chance to reconnect with friends from across the country, and with some who lived in other countries. With life and with work, meeting up in a large group was often tough to schedule. But Cincinnati became an annual staple to the collector's calendar, one nobody wanted to miss. In addition to reconnecting, the weekend afforded collectors the chance to develop new friendships. The overall network of collectors grew each year, and the Cincinnati meetup helped to strengthen those bonds. And over the course of the weekend, local collectors would invite travelers into their homes to tour their collections and to take part in smaller but meaningful meetups. There were trips to antique malls in search of Star Wars prototypes and other mementos from Kenner's storied history. Cincinnati also has its share of toy stores, like the Toy Department, which received new items on a weekly basis and some from former Kenner employees. Collectors would dine together. They would spend quality time together. They would visit former Kenner employees still living in the Cincinnati area, sometimes coming home with an exciting and recently unearthed relic. They would arrange a room sales event that Saturday night. It was always Saturday night. And they would buy, sell, and trade rare items until the early hours of Sunday morning, surrounded by a vibrancy and bustle of a house party or a family reunion. There were obligatory visits to Kenner Street and to the Kenner Mural, a multi-story image featuring many of the iconic toys birthed at the Kroger Building. There were many late-night trips to the Waffle House after room sales ended, and the evening continued. And the final day of the weekend always began with the Cincinnati Toy and Collectible Show, hosted by CTS Promotions. It was smaller than its sister show, the Columbus Toy and Game Show, which usually took place in September. But with the Cincinnati show, the really good Star Wars items, like first shots and alternate box art for the Ewok Battle Wagon, seemed to surface there. There was always a palpable energy of anticipation when heading into the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend. I remember in years past, people would post photos to social media of their arrival to the area. They would share pictures of themselves with friends they hadn't seen for months, or even years. There would be conversations around where to meet up, where the next collector's meal would be, and the location and time of the room sales. For so many of us, the success of the weekend was in our collective hands. We had the ability to come together and to make it special and memorable. Cincinnati was like a Star Wars convention, stripped down to its best and most connective parts. It rejuvenated us as collectors, leaving us anticipating the next time we were all together again in the same city. In the years since the pandemic hit, the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend has changed. It's hard to put a finger on it, but fewer collectors are traveling out to Ohio. For those who attend, it is still a rewarding and exciting experience. But in some ways, it feels like it's lost a little bit of the spark it once had, the one that drew a community to the Buckeye State. 
This year, the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend fell on the final weekend in October. It appeared to be a promising event. There seemed to be a resurgence in longtime collectors returning to Cincinnati, and there was a genuine excitement surrounding it. So what was this year's weekend actually like? This is a conversation with collector and dear friend Ron Salvatore about his time in Cincinnati. This is a look at some of the planned and impromptu moments a weekend like the Cincinnati Toy Show delivers. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. to collecting Star Wars memorabilia, Ron Salvatore has decades of experience. He was one of the earliest contributors to the website the Star Wars Collector's Archive, an invaluable resource that has educated and informed many collectors since going live in 1994. Ron was also one of the first collectors who traveled out to Cincinnati to meet with Kenner employees before most of the community became familiar with terms like proof cards, wax sculpts, and hard copies. He and his fellow toy hunters shared the information they acquired about Kenner's history and the production process of a toy in entries on the archive. And in 2014, Ron added a blog to the site, featuring in-depth articles covering various areas of vintage Star Wars collectibles. Ron is also a valued member of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club, a group that meets up regularly in the New York area. Ron has hosted meetups at his home. He has arranged activities like hikes around the Hudson Valley area, and he was a part of the innovative team that created The Annual, an immersive collector's weekend that has become one of my all-time favorite activities in the hobby. A few weeks back, Ron told me he would be heading out to Ohio once again for the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend. After the event, I had so many questions I wanted to ask him. I was curious to learn about the stops on his itinerary this year, and which of our fellow collectors joined him. I wanted to know what the experience was like for him, and if it still held some of the magic and charm of the pre-pandemic Cincinnati trips. I wanted to hear about his previous excursions to Kenner Country, and about those early events many of us may have missed and I hope to better understand why he continued to return to Ohio decades after his first trip to the Midwest. And I was hoping you'd join me for this conversation. Ron is incredibly thoughtful and incredibly insightful, and it's a true joy to speak with him about collecting and about life in general. 
Today, I'll let you pick the spot where we can meet and chat. Please save a seat for Ron and another one for me, and let's find out how the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend was for our friend Ron. Ron, a few weeks ago, you and I spent some time together in the home of fellow collector F.J.D. Robertus for his Halloween-themed meetup, which was so much fun. As someone who's hosted many gatherings over the years, what was it like to see another friend host his first meetup? Oh, um, it's always great. You know, F.J.'s, I wouldn't say he's a new friend, but I, he's not someone I've known super well for all that long. I want to say the first time I really... Spent time with him was when I was with you, probably at um, Mike DiStefano's um, Pennsylvania Club um, holiday gathering last year. Was it last year? It was last year, year. last December, yeah. Well, really, only someone I've known on a more personal basis for about a year. uh, And you got to know him a little bit better at um, our annual event um, as well, and... Uh, you also, we went hiking with us, right? So, and you were there as well. So we, and we went on a hiking excursion, which you covered on your podcast, I believe in, in Absolutely. May of 23. <laughs> so gotten to know him a little bit better. Great guy. Just really good to talk to you. Really nice. Um, and, uh, you know, it was great to, to see where he lives and to see, to meet his partner and, uh, see his collection and especially to see that the, um, the, uh, artifacts that his dad sculpted you know his dad was a an animal sculptor birds specifically so made these bird sculptures and fj has like a whole case of them that he saved um when his dad passed and uh that was that's really i mean i love the star wars stuff but that's really the kind of unique thing that i like always like to see people you know have so that that was a lot of fun so yeah it was great and it's great to see various people so um yeah i had a really good time I, i was glad to see you there as well that was a really special one um i'm glad we had that that day back in October. Um, and I think you, you bring up a really good point about how special the in-person meetups are, because as you said, you didn't really know FJ that well, but over the course of a year, you got to spend time with him in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, we, I don't know if you remember, but we were, um, at a diner and we were talking about the Zook brothers. You were doing some research on some of the artwork. Yeah. And that's when he first told me about his father, that his father was like a, a sculptor. So, um, or, you know, a, carver or whatever you want to call it but um so that was finally seeing those things in person was kind of the 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 end of that story where he he had brought those things up and i like stuff like that so it was really cool to see that but yeah um, yeah and and being able to to go on a hike and to do you know an event like the annual where he was able to attend um those moments i know i was there for i think for all of them um they they were really wonderful for bonding and I think you know it's a great experience where it these in-person meetups they, they get us off the computer off of Facebook and social media and by, by being together in person as you know a lot of times the conversations that we have and the things that we do aren't really centered around Star Wars yeah um, that's true and I think you know if it was always just Star Wars it would never you'd never really be friends with these people. <laughs> it would just be some <laughs> kind of nerd relationship. So it's got to have other aspects 
Um, but you know, I don't know about you, David, but personally I am like, especially as I get older, I'm terrible with remembering people. And, and, and I, I know, is it in the thousands you think, you know, hundreds anyway of Star Wars collectors or have crossed paths and had discussions with hundreds of different Star Wars collectors over the years. And it's like, man, no offense, but if like, if we met like one time and we shook hands, like I ain't going to remember you three years later, <laughs> I, I might remember your face, but it's like, sorry, it's just no offense, but I just, it takes like, I need to have some sort of personal relationship, like, or like a discussion like we had with FJ at the diner for me to like really remember and like stick. Okay. FJ, right. that's that guy. Um, <laughs> Christian Julius is like, I don't know how he does it, but he like, he's like, don't you remember we met this guy for 3.5 seconds, 10 years ago. I'm just like, no, like I don't, I honestly don't remember. Like I can't remember. Um, so yeah, and we went to, we'll talk about Cincinnati in a little bit, I guess, but I was out there last week and, I met a really nice Australian guy named Darren, um, and uh, he was out here with um, Lee, who's another Australian guy. Who we, we you know Lee, right? He's um, I know Lee, and I know I met Darren. Uh, I believe it's Darren Eddy, right? Darren Eddy, yes. Um, yeah, I, I met him. Um, I want to say at ICCC in twenty. Right. Well, that's when he told me that he met me. This <laughs> is like I was like, all right, I'm sure you're not lying, but it's like uh, <laughs> we talked for like very briefly, and it's like. I don't remember, man. But now we had a good conversation sitting on the couch at Dave Brott's house. And it's like, and now he's, you know, he might come and visit when he's in New York. But he's a very nice oh, guy. That's great. Like, just an example of someone who, like, he's like, oh, yeah, he drops that on me. He's like, oh, geez, now I feel like a jerk. Like, no, I can't really <laughs> Like, we probably shook hands or whatever. But now if I heard, if you heard me saying this, he'd probably be like, oh, no, man, we went out and got lunch together. And like, oh, no, I'm not <laughs> but um, yeah, anyway, it takes me like, like a personal interaction or something that if it's just like, Oh, we met and I showed you a 12 back. It's just like, Oh man, I'll probably just, I'll probably forget. You know what I mean? So, um, it is, it is like important, I think to have these little moments where you you meet someone and you discuss something unique and have a a more personal relationship than just something that's like your run of the mill toy nerd stuff. Yeah. And I I think the takeaway from this is go to, uh, go to a meal with Ron once, you become friends. You go hiking, you become brothers for life, right? That's the way it goes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You climb to the top of a rickety weathered you know, tower <laughs> and then we'll remember each other. But uh, yeah, I just, it's more of me than I just, I'm, I have a lousy memory at this point. It, it, it takes me something to latch onto that's unique or else it'll just waft out of my brain pretty quickly. But, you know, again, that that's a very important point because what, what you're stressing is that, especially now in the age of social media, we meet so many people. We have interactions or transactions or whatever it is with, with so many people, but it's the in-person stuff. It's those moments that really bond us together. Um, I've been really trying to stress that during the, the podcast episodes um, over the years because I think there's something really important with that. And I think some collectors tend to miss that. They focus on the things or the, the online um, presence that they might have and not so much the, um, the relationship building in person. Yeah, I think that's, that's really true. I mean, we aren't the first people to discuss this on a star Wars podcast or some other thing, but it really is. I mean, it's more about just, 
the toys, you know, in a sense, it's just about the toys like, because <laughs> friendships break up and things over just stupid toys and stuff. But I mean, in terms of just having friendships within the hobby, like it, it, if it doesn't go beyond just the stuff, then it's like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, it's just a kind of a, a acquisitional relationship rather than, a, than something where you actually have a personal connection with somebody. So, right. Uh, right. You know, and that's and, what these trips afford us, you know, especially um, these these meetups that we have, but then something like Cincinnati as well, too. And um, it's nice that Cincinnati has been happening for years, um, every October. Um, so you went yeah. this year. Do you remember your first time attending a Cincinnati Toy Show weekend? Ah, oh, geez. No, I was trying to think about it when I was out there. Part of the problem, David, is that I've been going to Cincinnati fairly regularly since the 90s. And it's like, I was trying to think of how many times I'd been there, you know, dozens. It's got to be. But the first time we went to the show, I don't remember the year. It had to be close to 10 years ago. I do remember that there was, it was a get together going on that was planned. And we, it was Todd, me, Ed, and Chris kept it quiet because we weren't sure if we were going to show up and pop into there. But we, organized our trip to go out there to meet Kenner people around the Kenner show around the, the Cincinnati show. And I do remember we walked into the, to the bar that those guys were meeting at and everyone was shocked to see us there. So that I remember that I remember the look on Brock's face because he didn't know we were going to be there. Um, so that, that's a pretty funny memory. Um, and that was around the time that all those fake hard copies that the lawsuit was going on. Because I remember talking to... 2010, 2011. Adam, yeah. Adam Bulakowski was doing something about a legal thing. And I don't remember if it was the same trip or a later one. I remember meeting Isaac Lev's now wife, like at the time was his girlfriend for the first time out there. And it was kind of cool because Isaac and Jenny, her name is Jenny. They were out there this time too. And we were talking about that. Like the first time I'd met her was at the Cincinnati show. And that must've been one of the first times we went out there. And it had to be, it had to be close to 10 years ago now. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And that wow. would make sense. Um, I went out for my first time in 2017. So by, by that point, um, you know, the show and the and the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend, which encompasses meetups and room sales and and all these other you know collector based events, um, was already established. Yeah, I'm going to say it was around 2014. That's just my guess. I could probably figure it out by going through old photos that have dates on them and like, oh, here I took this photo. But uh, it was got to be around 2014 or so. So it's been a while, and it's we've probably been to that show out there just mostly to go to the show and hang out five times or so over that period. I haven't gone every single year. Uh, I didn't go last year, uh, but I've been out there a bunch of other times, pretty much always with Chris and Ed and, and, and Todd Chamberlain, I think didn't come to some, but then when he moved to Indiana, now he goes pretty much every year because he's pretty close. Okay. And Chris and Ed and Todd, uh, were three collectors with whom you would travel out to Cincinnati before the, the toy show weekend even existed. And that that's where, you know, you guys were meeting with the different former Kenner employees. Yeah, that was definitely in the old days. That's what it was about. Like nobody else was going out there. Very few people. I mean, other than people, and there was other people who were involved with our group, you know, Gus and Chris Fawcett and would come out. But I don't remember anybody hardly going to Cincinnati, especially for a show. Uh, and that was going back to the nineties, you know, so nowadays 
we met with some people when we were out there this time, but it's kind of like, in you know, it's like almost there's not much to dig up. It's it's very it's a lot different now, and so it's mostly just to hang out with collectors that I went out there. Uh, so, right. Um, I was really curious to ask you about this because I, I think some people forget, you know, now like newer collectors especially are by the time they came into the hobby, social media the social media explosion had happened. Um, you know, the, the collecting groups have already existed. And I think some people tend to forget, um, that there was life before these, these social media groups, you know, and, and that, um, if something were to come together, it, you know, now, like if you were going to plan an event, you could just post it to one of the Facebook groups or to all the Facebook groups and everyone would know about it. But that's why I wanted to know, like, if it was, if it was organic, the way that it, it occurred where, Maybe it wasn't something that was officially planned, but just sort of came together because enough people were coming out to Cincinnati at that time. You mean people going out there to the the show specifically? Yeah, either they were going out to the show or they were meeting with Kenner employees, and then that's how the the weekend really started to take shape. Oh, yeah. I think it's two separate things. I mean, we were going out to meet with employees. It was kind of just, you know, discussions among ourselves, like, hey, let's go out there I mean, we have some meetings lined up and and you know so that was really not a public thing and no then, and that was taking place years before i i just meant over right. time like as more people became interested and were traveling out I, i'm just i'm very confused on how it actually uh, began and i think that is the social media thing like i don't remember that being a thing before facebook was around and i want to say that the first discussion of a bunch of people meeting to go to that show was probably that first time we went out there and, and I said we dropped by that bar when and nobody knew we were going to be there um I want to say that was the first time I remember that happening and I'm pretty sure it was discussed on social media you know around 2014 or whatever it was uh, that's how we knew about it okay um, that would make sense either that or maybe the rebel scum groups it may have been but by that point even 10 years ago like I don't remember doing much on rebel scum like it's been quite a while since that kind of went south so it could have been discussed on there as well but i don't think that i i would have saw it there i think i saw it on facebook okay that makes sense um could you share like a a memory from one of the earlier trips i mean it's been all a blur they kind of blur together which is one of the problems they really do Um, and I, I know room sales is usually like the highlight, it seems like, because everybody's together and, they, you know, you've been out there. Everyone's in the same spot and there's usually booze involved and people are sort of feeling pretty good. You know, I remember one year meeting the – well, I, I knew them already. Like those Canadian guys like like Toby, um, Toby Black and Chris Porteous, those guys usually come out and they still – they came out this year as well. I remember, you know, they're always pretty fun to hang out with. <laughs> one year, this is like – three or four years ago, they got us to go to some sort of hole in the wall bar, like at two in the morning, <laughs> being us, like, what are we doing here? And I guess that <laughs> is like, they closed it down and opened up an arcade and they unsuccessfully tried to get me to go there with them at three in the morning this time and play arcade games till late in the night. But I, I successfully avoided that one. Uh, <laughs> well, at least you didn't have to go to Waffle House this time. Well, yeah, Isaac wanted to go on this time, but you know, for old time's sake, I guess. But uh, I, 
I avoided that one as well. I'm too old, man. It's like it's midnight. I'm gonna go and get try to get some sleep. I don't sleep well on these trips <laughs> anyway, so you know. But as far as like, I don't have any other crazy stories. I mean, it's usually pretty. I mean, you go out there, people drive around, see the sights, maybe stop by a collector's house or two, um, and stop by you know chris neal's store and then go to the room sales and it's just kind of the same every time with little variations you know one time a good story was going to kyle rose's place i like that a lot and i don't know if you were there that time um i do remember it was raining because he was disappointed he couldn't use his fire pit Um, that was either 20 i want to say that was 2019 it was either 18 or 19 um but he he had it two years in a row at his house and it was it was just a great time yeah, that was good, you know, to see his setup down there. And he's a, he's a cool guy. He's another guy, like, I had met him and I knew knew who he was. And I don't really think I got much personal time with him until um, I went to his house and we hung out for a few hours. And he, he actually gave me, a, he knows I like weird ads and stuff. He gave me this cool ad. And I, I, I saw that the other day and I was like, oh, that's Kyle gave me that. And it's like, that's a pretty good memory. Yeah, Kyle has one of the kindest hearts. Uh, of of anyone in our hobby and and he's always he's really thoughtful in his approach to connecting with people and um so it doesn't surprise me that he would have had something to to share with you that that's yeah and um you know we probably send some messages back and forth since then but since that time i don't i haven't had the chance to hang out with him too much you know I, i haven't seen him at try to get him to come to the annual, but it's just another guy. He's a really nice guy. I'm glad that we had like a more personal connection with him. And it's someone that I would certainly like to, to spend more time with in the future. Uh, you know, that's, that's why we have these events, right. To try to, to try to, you know, hang out with, with each other rather than, you know, you see each other at a show, it's a whole different vibe, but actually spending time in some other context is, is usually good. And, Spending time at Kyle's is one of my favorite memories of my trips out to Cincinnati for the, the toy show weekend. Um, and the, the last one, there was a moment where a bunch of us were standing in a circle and talking and I looked around and it was a whole group of people who maybe normally would not hang out together. Um, right. Because it was a group of established collectors and newer ones. Right. And so, you know, maybe not that they wouldn't hang out, but they they didn't know one another that well. And this, it happened organically. It just came together. And we had this nice long conversation about life and collecting. And it was, you know, one of those moments where you kind of step back and you take a look and you go, this weekend and our shared interest in Star Wars and collecting brought us all here. And we might not have ever been in the same room otherwise. So uh, special times. That's true. And there's a good number of collectors who live in that area. So that's always good. You know, I guess a lot of my memories of going out there for that show are tied to that. Like I want, I've known Tracy Hamilton for decades, but I'd never been to his house before and seen his collection. But one year we went out there and we stopped by Tracy's house and that was great to see that. And Tom Derby must've been out there that year. Cause I do remember Tom at Tracy's house for whatever reason. Uh, and one year we went to Jerry Gallo's place and that was awesome. I'd never seen his, his setup. And so it was great to see that. I mean, it, you know, I don't know when the next time I'm going to do that is. So uh, that that's a, a pretty treasured memory to, to get the chance to see his stuff in person. You mentioned the room sales before. Um, so when I went in 2017, um, I, it, I think that room sales was marked by Tracy Hamilton, who you mentioned, and Bill Wills bringing out 
later on in the evening something like 10 unproduced power of the force proof cards which was incredible oh and i think they sold within a handful of minutes um, but there were there are moments like that. There are items that you see at these room sales, especially in the earlier room sales, um, pre-pandemic, that you wouldn't see anywhere else. And they were always marked by by something special or or by a number of really special pieces. Um, do you remember what some of the earlier room sales were like for you? At the Cincy show in particular? Yes. Um, I gotta be honest. I mean. I, I almost never find anything. It's probably my fault more than anything, but it's like they're usually just walking around and enjoying talking to people. But I don't remember ever finding anything special. I mean, I think you're right that there was better things before. Like I do remember hearing about Bill and Tracy having those proof cards, but I don't think I was even there when they pulled them out. Um, so I kind of missed that, but it, yeah, the Cincy show. I don't. It's all just a blur to me. It's just, I know that, you know that space. You know, it's that little like breakfast area or whatever it is in back of that hotel that gets taken over. Uh, so my memories are more just about hanging out and usually people being very under the influence of alcohol and being up really late. As far as like finding stuff goes, like. I don't have any, honestly don't have any particular memories of what turned up at this. I do remember showing up like Chris, Ed, Todd and I had bought a bunch of stuff showing up and just dumping it on the floor to try to sell it. Cause it was too big to take <laughs> home. It's like, man, was it a boxed glamor gals cruise ship or something? Or there was just something, several large items I remember bringing and trying to, I think we did sell them. It was just like trying to sell them as cheap as possible because we didn't want to ship them back. And you literally picked them up that day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, so I guess that's my main memory is just trying to get rid of those bulky items uh, that we had just bought. Uh, we didn't really have anything like that this year, but in the past years, that was definitely the case. So would you say, other than the quality of the items, maybe not being what they were at the room sales uh, pre-COVID. Um, have the room sales, as far as the the attitude and the camaraderie, ha- have they stayed pretty similar to the, the first ones that you attended? Well, this one seemed more like less crazy than other ones for some reason. I don't know if that's just me or um, it really was different. Maybe less attended or something or less crowded. Uh, I think it was less attended and less crowded. I saw a video. I, I was not able to attend this year, but I did see a video of it. And I noticed, you know, a lot of times that all of the, so the, it, the room sales are held in, as you said, a breakfast nook um, at one of the, the hotels in the surrounding area. And people usually file in around eight o'clock or so. And they, there are all these little tables um, and they take over the tables and they put all of their wares and stuff on the tables for trading for, you know, for, for selling. And usually every table is, is taken. Um, there's stuff, you know, all along the walls and, and it does get really pretty loud and pretty, pretty crowded in there. And the video that I saw, um, I would say it was more like maybe half full or a third full. And there were a lot, a number of empty tables. Yeah. It seemed like it was less wild and crowded to me. 
Um, I don't know how the hotel tolerates it, to be honest, but they seem to do a pretty good job of allowing people to do that. And honestly, I didn't hear of any crazy things that were bought or sold. I mean, maybe there were, but I, not that I was really aware of. Uh, but yeah, it, it seemed way more low key to me than it did, you know, five years ago. I think that makes sense. Um, it, it, to me, the, the Cincinnati toy show experience has changed where, you know, I would say up till 2019, it was a certain way. And then I think there were elements of the pandemic that changed, that changed it, um, uh, where people couldn't come in, they couldn't travel in from out of the country for a while. So we were missing a number of our fellow collectors, like that there were people who weren't traveling due to the pandemic um so they weren't coming in as well too so the last few years years have been a little strange um when was the last time that you traveled out to cincinnati before this year um it was must have been 21 fall of 21 so the first post pandemic one uh and then we skipped last year so it's been okay. a couple of years. So I don't know, if, uh, just to jog your memory then, because that was the, the last time I went out as well. Um, that Saturday, we met up for a late brunch. Uh, and it was one of these moments that just came together um, <laughs> kind of in the moment. Uh, I, 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 went to, I went to get some water out of my car on Saturday morning. Um, so I walked out of the hotel and there were a number of, of our friends standing there. And, you know, just asked them if they wanted to go eat. And then Mike Ritter, um, he came in, he came in with somebody else. I can't remember. It might've been Mike Ritter and Yehuda who came in, but they, they came in, uh, they had just arrived to Cincinnati. And so they wanted to eat. So we, we just, you know, we kind of improved it and we got this whole group together and we, we met for a late brunch, um, with Eric Janicki, Mark Rusciano. I mean, there was a, you know, there was a whole yeah. group of us there. That was the year that all the New York guys went out. I, Mike Ritter was out there. I don't even Mike remember. Ritter was out there. I do remember I drove that year and I do remember, I know Ed Nagy and um, a lot of those guys and Rusciano cause I drove, I drove Mark around a bit cause they had my car. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, there was a lot of those New York guys came out in 2021. So that was definitely an interesting one. And then that, I think we went to Dave Brott's house and, and Vicky Bitter had yes. people over as well. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was fun. It was definitely a good time. It was nice. It was something different. So Kyle was not having a meetup at his house and instead um, Vicky and um, Mike Esposito, they had, um, they had a meetup at, at theirs or they had like a, a get together and then Dave Brott had a barbecue at his house. And I, I want to say that was Dave's was on Saturday before the the room sales and Vicky and Mike's uh, was Friday night. That sounds about right. Yeah. I don't, wouldn't contest that, but um, yeah, that was, that was a good one. There's, there was fewer people out there this time around for sure. It seemed like there were more old school collectors or established collectors um, out there this year as well, too. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't, I, that did seem to be the case. I know like Mike Mensinger texted me just a few days beforehand. He was like, I'm surprised all you guys are going out there. I thought that thing was, that show is dead. And then at the last minute he decided to drive out because there was a lot of um, older collectors who, who are going. So yeah, I don't know. These things just happen. You know, I, 
I wasn't going to go, but then Chris Julius wanted to, and he was pushing to go. I was like, all right. I mean, my main reason, to be honest, was, I mean, I, I wanted to see Steve Denny. Um, so I hadn't seen him in a while. You know, Steve Denny is an old-time collector who lives in northern Kentucky. Um, and he's been having a few health issues, so it was important to me. I, I really wanted to see him in person. So uh, that was the main thing that was like, all right, I, I feel stupid not going. I want to go see Steve. So, we, And then we did. We met up with him on that Friday, and it was really, really great to see him in person. So I was so happy to hear that because – uh, for most of us, um, Steve Denny is somebody who is very special. Um, you know, he was he was really one of the first known collectors. Um, he had salvaged so many items um, that are part of Kenner's pre-production history that would have been lost. Um, he's he you know he's just been like one of those key factors in our, in our hobby, and he's a great guy too. So. Um, it was great to see that you and our friends were able to go out and to spend some time with him. Um, and for me, I mean, just seeing even those photos, it seemed like for at least a year, the, the pre pandemic Cincinnati experience was back. Yeah. I mean, it definitely felt good to, to get together and, you know, Steve is definitely a one of a kind kind of dude um, who basically invented the whole Cincinnati rooting through, you know, contacting employees and dumpster diving and all that stuff. Like Steve Denny kind of was the guy who first did that first in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, has been a good friend for a long time and I just hadn't seen him in person for a while and know he's been feeling kind of down. So it was, it was good, good getting together. And that, anyway, that was, that was my main reason to, to I didn't want to miss it because of that. How did you first meet Steve? Oh man, it was later. Like some guys, like Steve Sansweet and Chris Julius, like those guys bought stuff from him. He had a catalog, you know. I don't know if he, I have a couple copies he gave me, but he had a catalog that he put together, which was like a zine. He would have Boba Fisher, who was his friend, draw like a cover, and then he'd put together um, a, a typewritten catalog that he'd photocopy and send out in the mail, and you could buy stuff. You know, no pictures really. Like and um, so those guys like Chris, I think, bought stuff from him directly through that catalog, like in you know 1993 or whatever. Um, and that was the time I met him. It was more like 95 or six, and it was probably because Gus Lopez was helping and Chris, they were helping Steve sell his proof cards, <laughs> you know, and, um, he had sold proof cards for like cheap in his original catalog, you know, wherever they were, like uh, he tells a story sometimes or like five a piece or something like that. Cause he had just tons of them. But by the time I got onto, I think Chris and Gus were encouraging him to sell them for more money. They were like, Hey, you can get more money for these. And they kind of put it on the star Wars collectors archive, <laughs> um, to help him, so, and I remember buying at the time it seemed expensive. You know, it was like a hundred dollars for Empire Strikes Back proof cards, and maybe a hundred and fifty or two hundred for Jedi because they were rarer, according to Steve. <laughs> I bought like three or four proof cards, from him. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I first got to know him. Uh, and then, you know, I went to his house a couple of times when we, in the old days going to Cincinnati and he showed us around his place, you know, all of his stuff in his basement and everything. 
Um, and you know, just keep in touch with him since then. You know, I, I know he likes certain things, so I'll, sometimes I'll mail him a package filled with some stuff I've managed to accumulate. Um, uh, just just a good guy. I mean, just like completely unpretentious. You know, kind of plays up the the good old boy Kentucky thing, but is really like super sharp. Just like the sharpest guy underneath. You know, uh, and kind of really knows the angles on things. Um, but just this really nice and generous as well. So he's, he's always just been one of my favorite guys in, in collecting. And he's just like, he's like a folkloric figure. Like there's like something like he's like Johnny Appleseed or something. It's just almost like he even look, has that look about him where he seems like he's out of some kind of folklore or some kind of, you know, ballad or something, you know, uh, it's just like, he's just one of those guys. It's just like hard not to love Steve Denny. And he really is a mythic uh, figure in in uh, collecting. I, I know he's yeah, inspired absolutely. a lot of us, uh, and it's nice. It's always nice too that when you meet someone like that, that um, they kind of you know live up to the, the reputation and that they're wonderful, you know, connective people. So uh, I, I've met him a few times, and I'm I'm really thankful to have done so. But uh, I'm glad yeah. that you got to spend you know some uh, some some good quality time with him. Yeah, no, it was good. Um... He's wearing his army football hat that I sent him years ago. And I was like, man, you can go this all the time, buddy. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, kind of a hard guy to crack through the persona, but um, not in a bad way, but there's just something very like, there, there's like, to get to like underneath, like the real Steve is a little bit, you're never really sure, you know, he's just got this, this like, good old boy persona but you sense that there's deeper currents under there you know and it's like and there definitely are i don't know that he did you can find one of the old you know Kivecast episodes where sky did a long interview with him and that's really worth listening to because it's just like once you get him talking about some of these stories you're just like, oh my gosh this is like beyond you know anything that collectors of more recent vintage have experienced um, and there's also like an old KennerCollector.com. I think it's KennerCollector.com that Dan Flaherty did. There's there's also like a written interview with him out there. It's worth checking out just to if you're curious about Steve Denny and some of the the finds he was involved in. But once you get him talking about that stuff, it's just like it really starts flowing, and it's like just amazing stories. I love reading that interview um, with with Steve. Uh, I read it every few months. It's just something I've always done since I started collecting, um, and. You know, he really details the moment that he started collecting, that he he realized that they were collectibles. Um, I was actually talking to someone earlier this morning and I was telling them about about Steve and how uh, I remember he, he said that he um, he went to a flea market and he saw one table where someone was selling pieces for maybe 50 cents. And then um, somebody else next to the, the table next to them had uh, action figures, the same ones for five dollars. And when he asked them about it, um, the guy said, well, they're they're collectibles, you know, I can charge whatever I want. And, um, the idea kind of, it sparked something in his mind. And then he, and I believe his son started going out to different Toys R Us stores because he was at that perfect moment where the items were becoming collectibles, but at the same time they were still being clearanced at, at toy stores all across the country. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, he got into it. He and Kyle, his son, we're looking for star Wars stuff. And yeah, you, like you said, realize that there was a collectible aspect to it, but you know, just started, you know, fortuitously he's in Cincinnati. So he slowly figured out like, this is where they made this stuff. And like, I might be able to find this just by going to, you know, 
random places and trying to find people who just have stuff, you know, but he and Kyle, like they have stories, like drove all the way up into Canada all night with like a U-Haul or whatever and carted back like thousands of carted droids and Ewoks out of Canada and Empire Strikes Back sand crawlers. And he just, he was good at making these contacts and getting this stuff in bulk. And then he had a ton of it. So it's like, well, I'm going to make a catalog. And that's how he met all these, all the other big collectors of the time. You know, and he ended up buying, he thought they were just unused backer cards, you know, just boxes full of like thousands of proof cards. (laughs) It's just like, I'm going to stick these in my catalog for five bucks a piece, you know? And it's like, you get a call like, Hey buddy, you know, I appreciate you sold this to me, but I don't know if you realize this was never released. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, it's <laughs> kind of gradually realized like, Oh, this stuff is like different, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, it's just kind of like at the ground floor of a lot of this stuff. Um, and he's just, his personality is such that it's like, he's always looking, always looking to score a, a, a lead, you know, always looking to score some stuff. You know, he was telling us stories when we were out there today. It's like, he still goes out and, and goes like on the rounds at flea markets and dumpsters. Does he and stuff. really? <laughs> he wow. said he went to some dumpster and he found some company that I guess made fishing line and they just threw away all these like big industrial sized spools of all this fishing line. <laughs> so he's, pulling these, he's pulling it out of the dumpster and he puts it on eBay and then he's got these guys on eBay like, hey man, where'd you get this stuff? This is high quality line, you know? And he's like, so now he's like a fishing line dealer. <laughs> stories are hilarious he told one story too about going through this dumpster and he's like suddenly he hears this noise behind him and he turns around and there's like a cougar <laughs> not a cougar oh like God. a woman but an actual cougar <laughs> he's like whoa and then like he's like as i'm sitting there with this thing in my hand for the dumpster it comes up and rubs its head on my knee like a cat <laughs> are you serious Oh my God. Like, Steve, this is like a story of a Martin Scorsese movie. Like what? And he, just, <laughs> and he drove to a cop, cop, um, a police station and told them, Hey man, there's a cougar back there. And the guy like, doesn't believe him. He's like, I'm telling you, it's a cougar. And the, the cops, I guess, went over there and it was in the paper the next day. It was like some escaped exotic pet or something. It's just like the stories he has, just like he busts. I was like, I've never heard this one about the cougar, Steve. Oh, that's incredible. And I mean, that could have ended horribly <laughs> so yeah. that's that's great yeah, like he would um, get, start to you know give people like a flyer and say hey if you have he kenner people you know he strategically hand this out or mail it to people that he knew worked at kenner and he said that you know they had his picture tacked up inside of kenner like if you see this man snooping around the dumpsters like you know call security <laughs> It's like one time he ran into someone <laughs> outside of Kenner looking around. He's like, hey, man, you got any stuff to sell? And the guy's like, are you Steve Denny? <laughs> Steve's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just, I mean, nobody has stories like that. That's just like really, really funny stuff. But once you get him talking, it's just like it all starts to come out. And it's like that that Kenner collector thing is, is worth checking out. And also the interview that Sky Payne did with them is worth checking out. It's very good stuff. Yeah, and he was super savvy too, because the way that he connected to a lot of the employees, um, he was working um, for the, the, uh, the postal service at the time. And when, um, when mail would come in because he was in Cincinnati, when it would come in to somebody at Kenner, he would make note of the names um, on right. the address label and then right. he would hunt them down and, and he would talk to them so 
super smart. I mean, just a, you know, a great way of, of, uh, of, of doing it and being able to reach out. And I think I want to say, if I remember correctly, he got something like 2000 proof cards. It sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> which wow. is really, when you think about that 2000 vintage proof cards, it's just well, think it's of how many, I mean, they're basically after they serve their purpose, they're basically junk. Right. And it's like, they all, how many proof cards can you fit in like a big box? You know, it's just like how thin those things are. So, you know, it comes up, the number, you know, it gets pretty big, you know, and he bought a couple of boxes. How many are in there? It's a lot, you know. Uh, But yeah, that what a find, you know, stuff like that will never happen again outside of just crazy luck. No, and and it's amazing, too, because if. If it wasn't for Steve, we wouldn't have these pieces now. We wouldn't have the history behind them. We wouldn't have, uh, you know, people wouldn't have them in, in their collections. So um, oh, no. what, yeah. what he really shared was was incredible. Even like I mentioned back in the day, like he had the proof cards and people liked them. But aside from revenge cards, eh, nobody really cared. You know, it was like you could buy them for not that much. It was Gus and Chris that really encouraged him to try to get more money. But even then it was a couple hundred dollars, which was a lot in 1997 or whatever. Um, but there wasn't that many people buying him. It wasn't until celebration two, when he did that blowout sale at room sales, he took all his proof cards and sold them all uh, for cheap prices. But that's what really, I think people realized like, well, of course, I'm thinking personally, like, wow, there's a ton of these things. This is just like, why would you? There's other things you could buy. Like, rather, Steve's got thousands. <laughs> it's like they're not that rare. Like, I'd rather have a hard copy. It's really right. actually rare. But it did what it did for the hobby is like it created a kind of base for people to. They're like, oh, I could buy, I don't know, you know, Bestman Guard on seven different styles, and it's like I want to get them all. So now all of a sudden you created like this kind of network effect of people because they realized they were available and they were out there. Like people started wanting them and then that price just like exploded from there. So that's like an example of something that when Steve just kept them to himself and sold them in drips and drabs, like nobody really cared that much except for like unusual things like revenge or unproduced stuff. But once he really blew them out and collectors became more knowledgeable about them and they were like out there to buy, like then that's when the collecting market for those things really took off. And 2000 sound like a lot. Um, but, you know, when you think about it, if somebody's collecting an entire set of revenge proofs, you're talking about 50 right there. So um, really? it's it's enough that it gets a wider swath of collectors interested, but it's still small enough that they are rare and as a result, valuable and and they're heavily desirable. Oh yeah. I mean, it's its own little category now where it's like, you know, there's plenty of things and you know, well, I mean, there's plenty of things that are super rare, but nobody cares. Like for whatever reason, it's like, but certain other things reach like this critical mass where it's like, if there's awareness of it and it's like, it's popular, collectors need to be aware of it and be able to get it for them to really care. If it's like really unobtainable, and something that they never comes under their nose and they have no awareness of, then it's like there's might be certain collectors who want it and they'll pay a lot for it. But your general guy kind of wants what he knows, right? And he sees his buddies has – they have proof cards and he started – and a lot of people do character collections and the proof card thing plays into that and it just kind of feeds it. So it's like it becomes this whole category on its own and then the values just become kind of 
self-sustaining you know there becomes a market for it where it's like you could see like oh well this sold for this two years ago you know and that's how trading cards work you know Um, so even though they're not the rarest things of all time in terms of quantity um, overall quantity it's certainly like its own category and that really kind of spurs it to be you know more, more and more collectible especially when collectors you know they don't just want like a a bespin guard empire they want like a specific one like a you know 45 back or whatever with this or that offer on it you know that also adds fuel to the fire on those things but anyway like he had those for years and it wasn't wasn't the thing until until he sold them and blew them out in a in public and they, they kind of like there was just a mass of them on the market that all of a sudden they took off so that's kind of the funny way things work sometimes it's amazing, and and he really, I mean, he's one of the, the more storied collectors um, in our hobby, um, and it's just really nice that you were able to to meet with him for a meal and just to spend some some time together while you were in Cincinnati. Yeah, and he seemed pretty doing pretty well, so I was I was glad to see. You know, I call him every now and then. It was just, it was good. That was my main the main thing. Otherwise, it's like I could have skipped it, but it was like oh, I really want to see Steve. So it, it, that was really my uh my one item bucket list for this this Cincinnati trip was to meet up with Steve. Now I'm glad you decided to go. Did you travel out with anybody or did you go by yourself? I flew by myself. I kind of I would have preferred to drive. The flight kind of just adds this extra level, extra expense and everything else, but the drive is like 12 hours and it's just once you get over like 8 hours it's like that's just a real chore. Um so I flew and met up with Chris Dragulius at the airport, and Todd picked us up, and uh, it was good. You know, I had I had a good time. I, I'm glad I went. Can you give us an overview of what the weekend was like, and and some of the things that you did each day? Yeah, well, Todd picked us up. I think we want we met with like four or so former Kenner people. Um, nobody knew, and uh, frankly, it was no great finds or anything, but it's just like, you know, sit down for a bit and catch up and see what they pick, find any other items over the years. And it's usually like, Oh, I found this service award or whatever. So, you know, stuff like that. So we did that, drove around meeting various people. Um, we went to Chris Neal's recently re, I guess he reopened it in a new location. The toy department is what it's called. Yes. Uh, and, that was awesome. Like, if you're in Cincinnati, you should definitely check that out. Um, it's in a former Harley Davidson building, so yes. it's massive. <laughs> yes, it is huge. I mean, not to say like if you're like a savvy vintage Star Wars collector, I'm not saying you're going to find an amazing thing. I mean, you might. He's got some good stuff, but it's like it's just to go if you're a toy collector just to, to see how massive it is, and it's got to be. I should have asked him. But I bet in terms of the size of the thing, the footprint of that building, it's got to be the biggest vintage toy store that I can think of. I can't. I mean, I'm not familiar with every single one in the world, but I mean, it's a big place. And he's got like every single line. I mean, there's like a whole aisle and you go, there's the turtles, you know, there's this. Like every single line from, you know, the 70s up through the 90s, like he's got like stock on, you know, and uh one of the smartest things that he's done is he he doesn't sell online. So if he has stuff in the store, the only way to get it is to go to the store. Oh, well, I didn't know that. That's 
you know, that's interesting, but yeah, I mean, that's an interesting strategy, you know, and he's in Cincinnati. So the walk-ins, he was telling us some of the stories about walk-in stuff and how much stuff he tends to buy. And it's just like, Whoa, you know? Uh, so yeah, interesting. I definitely go there if you're out there. That is, I mean, his old place was, was cool, but the new one is it's, I mean, it's big and it's like, if you're into collecting vintage toys, that's certainly something you don't want to miss. That is definitely interesting to check out. Uh, so we did that. Todd bought a, a Play-Doh piece. was <laughs> the one thing that got purchased. Um, which was good for him. It was a cool Play-Doh piece. Uh, and then this must have been Friday night. We went to the the Lamb Cool Brothers. Sean and Ryan now have they've moved their collection into like a rented space that's open to the public. Well, it's open to the public in some capacity. And it's like the Cincinnati Toy Museum or something like that. And buying center, something like that. I'm sure you can Google it. Cincinnati Toy and Buying Center will bring it up. And uh I mean that was I mean, I've been to their place to see their collection on multiple previous trips and it was always impressive. But now it's like, I mean, it's seriously impressive the way they have it set up and the extent of the the collection they've put together since they've really been buying things. So did that for a couple of hours one evening. Um, yeah, I can really recommend that too if you get the chance. To, you have to think, make an appointment to visit them, but it's it's worth seeing just for the. I mean, it's just a great collection and it's set up really well. So we did that. What else? We went to Dave Bratz again, um, and that was interesting. I mean, we've been there before, but Dave's a really nice guy, and that was Saturday night, I think. And he Dave, he's an Ohio collector. He is yeah. uh, just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Great host. Um, you know, when we went in 2021, uh, he opened his, his home to us and we got to hang out there for an evening. And um, a lot of people showed up and it just it turned out to be one of the highlights of the weekend. Yeah. Um, so that was that was fun. You know, his stuff is he has a he collects Power Lords, which is this line that few people really collect. And I, I just really love when people have these weird things that I, I vaguely remember this line of figures from the 80s. But it's like I wouldn't have remembered unless I saw them in his cases. And it's like, oh, man, it brings back like these weird memories. So it's like I vaguely remember this. And so I, I like seeing stuff like that. So even more so than, you know, whatever Star Wars stuff he has like that stuff like that sticks in my memory and you know it was just kind of chill we just hung out um we watched on the tv was playing one of the um ewok tv movies <laughs> honestly i don't think i've seen any of those since they debuted on television <laughs> yes interesting. the ewok adventure and caravan of courage i think they're called i don't know which one it was but man i was like man i can't even i have not revisited these since they aired um so we watched some of those then we did the show on Sunday, and that was what it was. Um, you know, Chris and I had late flights, so the, oh, the good thing at the show is that I ran into um, Steve Fink. I don't know if you know him; you probably do. Um, but he's like—I've known him for over twenty years, and he used to work in the—he does still work in the toy industry, but I think he worked for Hasbro for a little while. And now he does, he works for, with a toy company out in Cincinnati that does, does toy design. But I ran into him and he's like, well, I got a new place to, you know, show my collection. Why don't you guys try to spin by before you go to the airport? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, that sounds cool. So 
it almost didn't come together at the last second. He, he was able to get away from family stuff and he took me and Chris and Mike Mensinger was there and Ben Sheehan. He took us all to his, his new, it's kind of like a loft. It's, it's not technically a loft probably, but it's kind of like, it's an apartment that looks like it is in some old industrial place that's been refurbished. And, uh, man, it was awesome. Like that guy's got some cool stuff. Not even again, not, he's got cool Star Wars stuff, but just other cool stuff as well. It's just, that was great. That kind of put the capper on the whole thing. Cause he also took us to his toy company and showed us around there. So, um, that was, that was one of the highlights that kind of made the whole thing worthwhile to see all the stuff he's, he collects like horror and weird pop culture stuff and kiss and, superhero stuff and star wars just like has like a good eye for stuff and you know he also collects like concert t-shirts just had like very cool it's just like very cool like for a collector to go through that stuff right before we left it was just a lot of fun so appreciated that i spoke with a number of collectors last year who had gone out to cincinnati and um i guess it was during room sales um steve had met up with a few of them and he had invited them out after room sales to tour his loft and uh, maybe even the studio. And for, for many of them, I mean, that was the highlight of, of the entire weekend. So yeah, it sounds like, you know, it's very nice of him to do that. And, and I think it's just, you know, it's another kind of unique part of the Cincinnati experience. Yeah. I mean, it's funny too, because Mike Mensinger and I, along with James Gallo, the first, one of the first times I met Steve, this is in the nineties, you know, so it was like 90, I was either 99 or like 2000, you know, so it was 20 plus years ago. And we went to Steve's house at that time. <laughs> and um, Steve a, is a good guy, but he's also pretty tough to to negotiate with. I remember Mike was trying to buy something from him at the time. But anyway, it was just funny, like he, going to Steve's house with Mike Mensinger, you know, and like when we're youngish people. You know, and then twenty something years later, here we are again, going to a different house and seeing his collection. And he had some <laughs> of the same pieces. You know, it's like I remember you had that twenty place. Oh, yep, I've had that for twenty plus years. So oh, like, that's that's amazing. But yeah, that was man, that was first rate. Like he's just got. It's always there's collectors and there's like collectors with I'm not going to name names, but some don't have the greatest taste in the world. But Steve's got a level taste in the stuff he buys, and it's just like he's got a really good eye. For displaying it all and yeah it was, that was a great a great capper to that weekend it really was you know the, the perfect cherry on top for sure oh, i'm glad it was a great weekend for you um i know you know you, you had mentioned that we tend to do a lot of the same things that the weekend the structure of the weekend is pretty similar when we go out but a lot of times it's those impromptu moments or you know, just whatever happens during the weekend where somebody might say, Hey, come over to, and check out my collection, or we're going to this person's house, you know, this time where you, you go to a meal with friends that maybe you weren't planning or expecting. Um, what makes Cincinnati a unique experience for you? Oh, for me, I mean, I mean, it's like, well, I was thinking about this when I was out there. It's like, I've been there so many times, like dozen, it's gotta be well over 20. And it's going all the way back to when I was in my 20s. Um, so I guess the first time I went out there, I must have been like 22. Uh, which is, man, over half my life has gone by. <laughs> <since> <laughs> that. 
<laughs> right? So uh, I just think about all the times, how much has changed, like how the city's changed. And it's like how when I was going out there, like Hasbro was still out there and doing well, you know, it's like, and you could go and see the morgue and see, you know, you could, we went and dumpster dived in Hasbro when it was still open. Um, and, you know, Mike and James and I, and let's think of that same, that same trip where we met Steve Fink. I think we dumpster dived out at the morgue and actually found a bunch of prototype packaging. And stuff. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good story, man. We, I think John Wooten was with us too. And we, we, we went out to the morgue. It was dark and we might have even climbed the fence. I can't remember to get in there and try to go <laughs> through the dumpster. And man, it was filled with putrid garbage juice. And I'm, you know me, man, I'm just like, I don't care. Like I'm not, I, <laughs> I wasn't like a power of the force two collector. So I was like, whatever's in there, like it could be, I don't care. <laughs> it's like with James and Mike, I don't remember John, but James and Mike just pulling all this soggy garbage juice collect, you know, prototype packaging out of there. <laughs> it was like so nasty. It smelled like so bad, but it was legit like mock-up packaging for, I think it was right when they changed the power of the, they changed the cards to like the picture with Obi-Wan on the front. Yes. Yeah, it was right before that. So it was like early examples of that. And um, I just remember we that stuff stunk up the car. And I was like, you guys can do whatever you want. I don't want any part of it. You know, they took it home and flattened it out and dried it. And then sold it for good money. And then I was like, I was like, all right, I'm not jumping up. I already told you I want no part of this. But um, yeah, we found some other stuff too that was not soggy. It might have been at the other dumpster, the, the one on um, – Elsinore over there where the Hasbro headquarters well I guess the former Kenner you know at that that point they no longer called themselves Kenner but um because I remember getting some non-soggy stuff as well yeah I want to say they were maybe power of the force two proof sheets or power of the Jedi proof sheets it was right around the the, the time that uh, of the transition yeah they were mocked mocked up home but yeah, they were. Anyway, that's my thought going as just like how many times I've been out here, how things have changed, how the city has changed. Like I would drive by now. There's like a lot of like, I don't know how well Cincinnati's doing. Like there's parts of it. It doesn't look like it's doing as well as it was, say, 20 years ago, like especially in the suburbs. Like, there's a lot of dead malls, a lot of like empty retail space that just looks not great. It's like you're driving past a mall that's like, man, I remember we went here in 90. When did Blair Witch come out? 99? 99. I remember going there with Eddie and and at night we'd always we'd try to go see movies, going to the mall and just being packed at the movies and trying to go see Blair Witch Project on opening night and just being sold out. And we ran into the son of one of the Kenner employees we'd met earlier in the day in the line. I was like, man, I remember this place. You know, now it's just like covered in weeds and it's falling apart. And you're like, man, it's just like, what a what a contrast between what it was like all those years ago and what it's like now. And of course, you know, the, all the Hasbro moved totally out of there and all that's gone and the morgue is torn down. And so I, I guess that's the experience I have. It's just thinking like how, how long I've been coming out there and how, how, how much has changed, but also how much is the same. Cause I'm still going there with some of the same friends, you know, and we met, you know, a couple of former employees that, you know, one guy we we met way back in 97 and we went to his house again. I got this. This is a funny story. So 
we met this guy, like Eddie and I, Eddie, Eddie Albano and I drove out to meet this guy. This one of the first, I think it's the first Kenner guys we'd ever met. I think he might've been the first one. And this, the first time Eddie and Gus were flown out to Cincinnati to take part in this focus group that Hasbro was doing with like collectors to sort of like angle their material more towards the collectors. So they got like a free ride out to Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure this was 97. And it was around that time that Ed first dug up this one name of this guy and said, Hey, this guy, I think it was like in a stock call or something. Right. So he's calling the guy cause he was a stockbroker. He was trying to cold call him and selling, sell him stock or something. And this guy mentioned he was from Cincinnati and Ed's like, Oh, you know, when you want to work for Kenner and this guy's like, Oh, I used to work for Kenner. I did some contract work for Kenner and he's like, Oh no, no, no kidding. Right. So, and it was, Eddie called me after that and told me about this. And he's like, I'm going out there with, with Gus in a couple of weeks, you know, for, for this focus group. And I'm like, oh, he's like, we should try to meet this guy. He's like, you want to go out there? I was like, oh, Ed, I'm not invited. You know, <laughs> I wasn't invited by Hasbro to take part in this focus group. <laughs> and I was like, what if I drove out there with Todd Chamberlain? I don't think Ed even knew Todd at that time. Or maybe they talked like once. I was like, but Todd was living in like on the East coast at that time. I was like, what if Todd and I drive out there? And I think Chris Jerculius was going to come too, but for whatever reason he couldn't. But Todd and I drove out there all night long, picked Gus up at the airport, I think. But anyway, those guys took part in their in their focus group, and we were hanging out at the hotel. And this guy that Ed had contacted, this Kenner guy, showed up with his friend in the hotel and had some stuff. I don't think they sold anything. They wouldn't, didn't want to sell anything to us, but Steve Denny was there too. Cause we contacted Steve and Steve came by to hang out. That's one of the first oh, wow. times now with Steve. Um, anyway, that's like 97. And then Ed and I met this guy, the same guy. We met him again on another year, another trip, the trip, I think just Ed and I drove out there and we almost, he had some stuff, including a piece of artwork. And I think, we met him at a Bob Evans parking lot and he had some coin related stuff and some different things. And we got him to sell us like two really like cheesy items for cheap. Like it was like transparencies or something. (laughs) And he wouldn't sell me the artwork. He almost did. Anyway, long story short, like we met this guy probably five or six times. And then just this last weekend, we met him again Every single time we meet him, he refuses to sell us anything. So it's just like it just becomes this big joke. Like mentioned meeting up with this guy to the, again this past week, and we're like, oh, we're gonna meet him. Like he's never, <laughs> sure enough, he's never gonna sell anything. Sure enough, he went to his house and he had stuff, and he it wasn't even good stuff. <laughs> he still wouldn't sell it. It's just like <laughs> it's like twenty five years of futility with this guy. But anyway, stuff like that is funny. Like here we are meeting this guy. You know, it's like. This was 97, so that's getting close to 30 years. And we met him again in, in all this time, and it's just this running funny story about how he never sells anything. So I, stuff like that always is really funny to, to think about when I'm out in Cincinnati. You're so fortunate to have almost three decades of you know traveling out to Cincinnati, getting to know people who live in that region, um, who worked for Kenner, worked for Hasbro, um, and then just to to pull together this core group of friends and this larger group of friends that you've met, you know, in the ensuing years, um, do you do you think you'll return to Cincinnati next year for the show? Oh, we'll see. I mean, 
and it's worth going to see people. I wish it was a little closer. If it was like five hours away, I'd go every like a drive. I would go all the time. But um, I mean, it gets it's a long drive. Amy, it just kind of like blends in. It was we had some unique things this time. You know, going to the Limcools thing was was cool. I hadn't seen that, and Steve Fink's place I hadn't seen, and Chris Neal's new place. So there's some unique things but it's just like if it's the same thing over and over again it just kind of gets like well maybe i'll go every other year or you know it, it depends a play by year but it's not something that's like i have to go uh and you know like i said to steve denny this time around was important but maybe next year i'll want to see steve again you know so i'll catch up in person again so maybe i'll make myself go again uh, but you know it's it's certainly not i'm not trying to dump on it but it, it's not if you've been before, I mean, the show itself is okay. It's not really worth, you know, you're basically going to hang out with people. So I guess it depends on, you know, when's the last time I saw this group of people? Is it worth it to go out again? Or is it, can I skip a year? But it, it's certainly worth going if you just want to hang out and have a, a, a good weekend doing collector related stuff. I think that's a fair assessment, especially because you've gone out so many times and, you know, our group has really gone out and and has met up like that. It is nice that we have that option and that opportunity to do so. Uh, for somebody who's never maybe attended or a newer collector, um, what advice would you give to them um, if they're, you know, if they're interested in attending the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend for the first time in 2024? Oh, it's worth going, you know, I... I guess I'm not all that into the touristy Cincinnati stuff in part because I kind of lived it. I mean, I kind of went out there when it was still operating. And so it's kind of like, you know, I don't necessarily need to go take a picture next to the Kenner sign or whatever, you know what I mean? But if, if, if you've never been and you just kind of want to soak in like, what was, what was, what is this area like? I mean, it's, you know, you can go out there and go see Kenner street and, the Kroger building where the Kenner used to be. And you could go check out the mural they have out there that everyone stops by. It's worth it. You know, I mean, if you've never, all that stuff is kind of interesting and you have a little show to, to sort of coalesce around and there's probably other collectors out there. So it's, it's certainly worth doing if you've never done it before. Like I said, I think the guys from the New York collecting club or empire state collecting club, they seem to enjoy going out a couple of years ago, like kind of made like a club trip of it. And all went together and I think they got something out of it. They seem to have a good time. Okay. Well, it was, it was great to hear your, uh, your impression of it and your experience out in Cincinnati. Um, it's, it's always been sort of like a, you know, an, an annual trip for many. Um, and, and I, I know that that's where a lot of friendships have formed. People have gotten really great items for their collections. Uh, they've toured incredible collections. We have a number of friends who live in that area. And so, you know, getting to see, what they have and the way that they've curated, uh, you know, their love for, for Kenner and Hasbro and just you know, Star Wars memorabilia in general has been really interesting. It's worth it. You should, you know, people should check it out if they're all cu- if at all curious. Absolutely. And it is one of those things where if you are a collector, it's worth going out even once, you know, at least once. Um, Ron, thank you so much for taking some time today to uh, to talk to me and to share your experience, too. It was great hearing about it um, from your perspective as somebody who has been going, you know, almost three decades, uh, which is really incredible. Uh, gosh, it actually, I mean, 94 is about when I, it's so not going to Cincinnati, but that's kind of when I started collecting. So yeah, 30 years. Ugh. <laughs> 
Uh, but you've had some wonderful experiences and, and some wonderful moments out there and just, you know, within the hobby in general. So uh, it, this was this was a real treat talking to you, though, today. And I thank you for taking the time to do so. All right, David. It's good as always. Thank you.